0: Welcome to Murder Minute. Today, the story of the Claremont serial killings. But first, your true crime headlines. After more than 38 years on San Quentin's death row, one of California's most notorious killers has died of natural causes at the age of 79. Lawrence Bittaker was sentenced to death in March of 1981 for his role in the kidnapping, rape, torture and murder of five girls over a five-month span in 1979. Along with his accomplice, Roy Norris, Britaker kidnapped the young women from locations around Southern California. Their victims, who ranged in age from 13 to 18 years old, were brutally tortured and raped before being killed and dumped in the wilderness. The pair became known as the Toolbox Killers, for their use of household tools like screwdrivers, pliers, and ice packs as implements of torture. Bitteker's accomplice, Roy Norris, testified against him at his trial in exchange for a lighter sentence. Instead of the death penalty, Norris received a sentence of 45 years to life in prison, which he is currently serving. He is 71 years old. California has not carried out an execution since 2006. Earlier this year, Governor Gavin Newsom issued a moratorium on executions for as long as he is in office. There are currently 729 inmates on the state's death row. A 30-year-old California man was beaten to death by wedding crashers at his backyard wedding reception. Joe Malgoza and his new bride were celebrating with guests at a reception in the backyard of the bride's sister in Chino, California, when two uninvited guests showed up to the party. The men were asked to leave, but returned later with baseball bats and beat the groom to death in an alley behind the home. Malgoza was found in a neighbor's backyard and rushed to a local hospital, where he was pronounced dead. In addition to his wife, Malgoza leaves behind an 11-year-old daughter. Two brothers have been arrested in connection with the attack. Chino police say that the 28-year-old Roni and 19-year-old Josue Castaneda Ramirez did not know the groom but lived nearby. They are being held without bail on suspicion of murder. A weekend crime spree in southern Maine left an 82-year-old man dead and a 22-year-old man charged with his murder. 22-year-old Quinton Hanna has been charged with murder, attempted murder, elevated aggravated assault, unlawful sexual contact, criminal restraint, robbery, burglary, and two counts of criminal threatening with a dangerous weapon. The charges stem from a series of violent attacks that included hitting a woman with his car and sexually assaulting her, robbing another man, and attacking two different men, including a retired teacher and Christmas tree farmer who was murdered outside of his home. Police have not disclosed a motive for the attacks, but said that they were random and appeared to be crimes of opportunity. Hannah is expected to appear in court next week to answer to the murder charge. Those were your true crime headlines. Next, the story of the decades-long Claremont serial killings case. But first, a quick break.
1: The holidays can be a difficult time of year. So if you've thought about getting counseling, but don't know where to start, it's time to get better help. BetterHelp offers licensed professional counselors who specialize in issues such as depression, stress, anxiety, relationships, anger, family conflicts, grief, self-esteem, and more. Connect with your professional counselor in a safe and private online environment at your own time and your own pace. Anything you share is confidential. Schedule secure video and phone sessions or text your therapist worldwide and start communicating in under 24 hours. If you're not happy with your counselor, request a new one at any time. BetterHelp makes it easy to connect with a licensed professional counselor, caring professionals specializing in the issues that you want to talk about. Join BetterHelp and get help at your own time your own pace. This is a truly affordable option. And for Murder Minute listeners, you can now get 10% off your first month with discount code Murder Minute. Get started today. Go to betterhelp.com murderminute. That's betterhel dot com slash murderminute. Have you ever looked at the back of your deodorant and wondered, what are all these chemicals and why am I putting them on my body? Does aluminum really belong in your armpits? It's time to go native. Native creates safe, simple, effective products that people use in the bathroom every day with trusted ingredients that you can actually recognize, like coconut oil, shea butter, and tapioca starch and Native offers a wide variety of subtle scents for men and women, like coconut and vanilla, their most popular scent, cucumber and mint, eucalyptus and mint, and my favorite, lavender and rose. Plus, Native releases limited-edition seasonal scents throughout the year, like sweet almond and honey for fall, or candy cane for the holidays. And Native also offers an unscented and baking soda free formula for those with extra sensitivities. And with no animal testing, Native isn't just good for your body, it's good for everybody. Making the switch to natural no longer has to mean sacrificing on effectiveness. And with no aluminum, Native also won't stain your clothes. Get the natural deodorant that really works. Go Native. For 20% off your first purchase, visit nativedeodorant.com and use the promo code MM20 during checkout. Try it risk-free with free returns and exchanges in the USA. That's N-A-T-I-V-E-D-E-O-D-O-R-A-N-T.com. promo code MM20. Take care of your body. It's the only place you have to live. Welcome back to
0: Murder Minute. Today, the story of the Claremont serial killings. The murder rate is only about one per 100,000 people in Australia, a country and continent far better known for its beaches, wildlife, deserts, and the outback than violent crime. In the mid-90s, a spree of missing young women in Claremont, one of its ritziest suburbs, threw a curve in those numbers spreading panic and questions that would go unanswered for years. Sarah Spears was just 18 years old when she vanished from a Claremont Street. By then, the outgoing teen had graduated from Iona Presentation College, a prestigious all-girls boarding school near the banks of the Swan River. Before starting secretarial school and landing a job as a receptionist for an engineering consultancy, She lived with her sister Amanda, who wasn't just family, but one of Sarah's closest friends. On January 27th, 1996, Amanda picked Sarah and her friends up from the Ocean Beach Hotel, then dropped them off at the popular Club Bayview in Claremont, just after 12 a.m. They were celebrating Australia Day, a national holiday spent celebrating what residents love about the country, including the land, its democracy, freedoms they enjoy and, especially, people who make Australia so dynamic. For the group of young women, living it up in the Claremont night scene seemed perfect. Sarah seemed happy that night, Amanda later told reporters, offering her sister a hug and kiss and thanking her for the ride. Shortly after, the young women were dancing on Club Bayview's shaky floor and sticky carpet. After hours upon hours of socializing, Sarah told her friends she was tired and left to catch a taxi home. Even at her young age, Sarah was known to be highly responsible. So when no one heard from her the following day, her loved ones believed something was very wrong. Sarah had even made plans to have friends stay over that day. For Sarah, ghosting her friends was unheard of. That wasn't the only odd thing, according to her father, Don. It was unusual for her to not be in company at that time, he told ABC Australia, because we stressed to them always to keep company, never to be alone. And that was probably the most unusual thing, that she did part company with her friends. She wasn't completely alone after leaving the club though. Sarah was seen chatting with a security guard she knew pretty well before walking to a phone booth beside a nearby intersection to call a cab. By the time the taxi arrived, she was gone. Authorities quickly began searching for Sarah, and the area was plastered with posters that read, Missing, Sarah Spears, along with a phone number and two black and white photos of Sarah smiling and looking confident. Four people said they heard screams in the area that night. A couple said the screams had jolted them awake but it was difficult to determine the direction the screams came from. Had Sarah's voice pierced the night? Weeks and then months ticked by with no strong leads. Then five months later, another young woman disappeared. Jane Rimmer, a 23-year-old childcare worker who looked like she could have been related to Sarah, had spent much of the evening that June 9th at the same hotel Sarah and her friends had begun their Australia Day festivities. After an hour or so, they took a taxi to Claremont, stopping at a pub. Then they headed to Club Bayview, also like Sarah and her friends. Observing a long line outside the club, though, they decided to head to a party at a friend's home instead. At the last minute, Jane had a change of heart. She wasn't ready to leave the area, she said, and would head back to the pub. When she didn't appear at the family's brunch the next day or to work the following morning, Jane's family reported her missing. Shockwaves rippled through the community, given the similarities between her case and Sarah's. Years later, investigators would release CCTV footage showing Jane standing outside the pub around midnight. While the video is grainy, you can see a man approaching Jane. Her face seems to brighten upon seeing him. They start chatting, then the camera pans away. When it pans back, they're gone. Again, days turned to weeks, without clarity as to what happened to Jane. Six weeks after her disappearance, that changed. A woman was picking wildflowers with her daughter in Wellard, about 24 miles from Claremont, when she made a gruesome discovery. In the brush laid a woman's lifeless body. Soon, the deceased's identity was confirmed as that of Jane Rimmer. One can only imagine the devastation of her loved ones or the terror the discovery must have had on those close to Sarah who remained missing. Now authorities had one missing woman, one woman's body, and still no suspects. The following spring, another young woman seemed to be plucked from the night. Kira Glennon, a 27-year-old lawyer, had just returned from a year in Europe to celebrate her sister's wedding, taking part as a bridesmaid. According to police records, Kira had drinks after work with some of her colleagues in Claremont on Friday, March 14, 1997. Near midnight, she decided to head home, walking down an adjacent road to Sterling Highway. She was seen walking past the Claremont Baptist Church, and talking with someone sitting in a light-colored car at a nearby intersection. A witness would later say he saw her leaning over to talk to whoever was in that car. And when he looked away and then back again, Kira and the vehicle had left. The next day, she missed a hairstyling appointment and her sister's hen party, Australia's equivalent of a bachelorette party. Her family called the police and a search began. At a press conference, her father Dennis said, Kira's alive. We believe that, and we are confident that the way she's been brought up, she will fight on. Three weeks later, their worst fears were realized. Kira's partially dressed body was found in bushland, north of Perth. Fear plagued Claremont, now that three young women had vanished and two confirmed dead. Given the significant similarities in the cases, there was little doubt that the same person was responsible for all of the crimes and the media nicknamed the case the Claremont Serial Killings. Within days, the Australian government announced a $250,000 reward for any information leading to the perpetrator's arrest. Over the course of several weeks, a tip hotline set up by the police received over 15,000 calls. An official task force worked tirelessly on the case, the pressure mounting for resolution. But gradually, as the investigation led to one dead end after another, the case grew cold. Years became decades, with no arrest. Authorities investigated a taxi driver who said he'd given Sarah a ride the night before her disappearance. A man described as socially awkward, who was known to drive around the area in a white car, and a mayor who had publicly objected to the use of security cameras and mass DNA collections from taxi drivers. Did he care more about protecting the privacy of affected clubs in Claremont than the victims? If so, why? While the mayor had a tight alibi, police considered him a person of interest for some time and kept a close eye on him. But none of these individuals turned out to be a strong suspect. On the 20th anniversary of Sarah's disappearance, her family released a statement. It's hard not to wonder what Sarah's life and ours could have been had she not been taken from us. Still no answers, no justice. Near the end of that same year, finally, the community learned of a major breakthrough in the case. After raiding a home in an Eastern Perth suburb, police arrested the man who lived there, 48-year-old Bradley Robert Edwards, charging him with the murders of Jane Rimmer and Kira Glennon. He was charged with attacks on other women too, including the aggravated sexual assault of a 17-year-old girl he pulled into a cemetery in 1995, and breaking and entering. He allegedly broke into an 18-year-old woman's bedroom in 1998 as she slept attacked her, then fled after she attempted to fight him off. DNA collected from a discarded Sprite bottle helped lock him in as the prime suspect. Edwards initially pleaded not guilty to all of the charges. Then in October 2019, as his trial neared, he changed his plea to guilty for the rape and break-in counts, still maintaining that he's innocent of the serial murders. At the pretrial hearings in 2016, the lead prosecutor depicted Edwards, then age 50, as a socially isolated and awkward boy who grew into an equally awkward prowler with a fetish for women's underwear. And from there, his behaviors escalated to rape and then murder. Six years before the killing spree began, he reportedly attacked a woman working in a hospital without losing his job at Australia's largest mobile phone network, Telstra. Starting around 1988, prosecutors alleged that Edwards was spotted prowling around, stealing, and then dressing in women's clothes. Cross-dressing isn't a crime or all that unusual, but the prosecution believes Edwards was moving toward more nefarious acts than stealing, and that he wasn't only wearing the clothes, but obsessing over women who wore them. By 1990, he was known to grab vulnerable women. Prosecutors also said that Edward's DNA was linked with Kira's body and that fibers from his vehicle connected him to her as well. And up until two weeks prior to his arrest, they alleged, he was editing pornographic material involving the abduction and rape of women. As for the timing of the murders, the prosecution asserted that Edward's crimes took place at rocky marital times. His first wife left him for a man she'd been having an affair with in January, 1996, the month Sarah disappeared. When Jane vanished, he had just learned his wife was expecting her lover's baby, and Kira went missing the same month the home he had shared with his ex-wife sold. While that timeline doesn't prove causality, it seems significant. Edwards' attorney called the attempts to link the crimes to his personal life in exercise in speculation, according to an article in The Australian. He also said stealing women's underwear has little relevance in terms of committing murders. Edwards' official trial began in November 2019. It's expected to be one of the lengthiest, most expensive, and hardest fought trials in Australia's history. At the start of the second week, 45-year-old Annabelle Bouchelle testified, giving an eerie account of what sounded like a treacherous brush with life or death. She said that in 1996, the year the murders began. She headed to the Ocean Beach Hotel one night in Claremont with a friend. They decided to hitchhike, hopping in a white car with a Telstra logo on the side. Something didn't feel right, she said, so she made an excuse to exit the vehicle, adding, my recollection at that point is looking up and seeing a red traffic light and just wanting to get out. I just had a strong instinct to get out of that car and I wasn't in a good spot. After climbing out, she reached in and pulled her sleepy friend out too. Both women described the driver as a tan-skinned man with dark hair. The description matches an image of the suspect released in 1998, showing a man with black curly hair, dark features, and a chiseled jaw, all of which fits Edwards. She called the car an electrical van, having noticed that it had cables in the back. Another woman testified that she noticed a Telstra vehicle fitting that same description in Claremont as she waited for a cab in the wee hours of January 27th, the night Sarah went missing. Two other women saw a similar car passing the same area five or six times the same night around then. As the trial continues, one thing is certain. The darkness circulating Claremont some 24 years ago, whoever it belonged to, took too many lives. Sarah Spears would have been about 40 years old now, were she alive. Jane Rimmer would be in her mid 40s, and Kira Glennon, 50. Three women gone, but not forgotten. This has been Murder Minute. For true crime anytime, download the Murder Minute app or follow us on Instagram. Murder Minute. For exclusive content and early access, find the show on
1: Himalaya.